Turn in your Bibles again to Hebrews chapter 9. And it's not my intention to give a full exposition of everything that the Apostle mentions or touches on upon in this chapter, but instead to consider what it means for Christ to have entered into that holy place not made with hands, that is, heaven, and for him to have sat down. Would you believe me if I told you that Jesus reigns over all things presently? Wars all over the globe, some very high profile. Sinfulness manifested to the nth degree throughout the world. This month is named by our culture as one which is, by that attribute, which is directly opposed to God. Pride. More than that, even consider our own sin and our own inward unruliness. Would you believe me if I told you that yes, even in all of that, Jesus reigns? Well, you should believe it because he does. None of this politically, socially, culturally, ethically, none of it is, in a manner of speaking, outside of the reign of Christ. Not that he ordains it, not that he sanctions it and is delighted by it, but none of it takes him by surprise, and none of it will undo or unseat, undo his reign or unseat Christ. In fact, while the nations meditate upon evil and plot a vain thing, seeking to dethrone the Lord and his anointed, we're told by Psalm 2, even as we read and sung, that the Lord laughs. And you know how the Lord laughs? Jesus. Jesus Christ and his seemingly absentee reign is the Lord's laugh at the vain thoughts and the vain plans of sinful man against him. Now the Lord's reign, Christ's reign, is not what 
we might make of it in our own vain thoughts. Even the disciples during the Lord's earthly ministry, despite his teaching them time and time again, misunderstood the very simple fact that Christ's kingdom was not of this world, and we too may suffer from the same kind of thinking. But Christ's reign is real, and it is perfect. It is the realization of all of the promises that God made concerning the king and the kingdom. And even specifically promises couched in the Psalms. Psalm 2, for example, which we've already referenced. Even Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. The Lord is sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's the key to understanding the reign of Christ. Is that his kingdom is a priestly kingdom. And his reign, his royal reign, is a royal priesthood. It is a priestly kingdom and a royal priest. In fact, as the scriptures teach us, when Christ ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down. And there, even now, He rules and He reigns. And the kingdom that He administers, the kingdom over which He rules, He rules as a priest. As a priest who has once and for all made reconciliation between God and sinful men. Such that those who come to God through Him are received into the kingdom of Christ. The world scoffs, but God laughs in Jesus Christ. And we want to consider this afternoon briefly what the scriptures teach concerning the heavenly reign, the heavenly session of Jesus Christ as He sat down and as He is now seated at the Father's right hand. And we're helped here again by an Orthodox catechism which gives to us an exposition of the Creed's statement concerning Christ's session in questions 49 and 50. Why is it further said he sits at the right hand of God? Because Christ is ascended into heaven to show that there he is the head of his church by whom the Father governs all things. Question 50. What profit is this glory of our head Christ to us? First, That through His Holy Spirit, He pours upon us, His members, heavenly graces. And that He shields and defends us by His power 
against all our enemies. Four things, briefly, Lord willing, concerning Christ's heavenly session. First of all, consider what the scriptures teach concerning the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We're told in the scriptures, even here in the text that we've read, Hebrews chapter 9, that Christ entered into the holy place. Earlier in this letter, the author to the Hebrews has told us on several occasions that Christ passed through the heavens and sat down. Even in the very beginning of the letter, we're told that this one who is the Son in whom God has spoken, appointed heir of all things, the creator of all things, the very effulgence of His glory and image of His substance, the one who providentially upholds all things, that when He had made purification of sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And indeed, all of this is understood to be the fulfillment of the Holy Scriptures. The fulfillment even of that promise and prophecy of of, uh, Psalm 110. Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies the footstool of thy feet. Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 1 quotes this with respect to Jesus as the one who fulfills these words and who fulfills them as one who is better than the angels. And repeatedly, the author to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ, in His ascension, or after His ascension, if you were, sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Even Hebrews 8 and verse 1. Jesus Christ sat down. This is His, we might say, His exaltation. The risen Christ, even in his resurrection, we might say, was exalted. Exalted from the state of humiliation, which he entered in upon in his incarnation. He was raised from the dead and so exalted in that sense. He ascended. But when he sat down, he entered in, as it were, to that state or condition which was his by right, to be sure, as true God, but his by divine appointment, divine promise, and by his own fulfilling Jesus Christ 
sat down at the right hand of God in that position of authority and power, that position of honor and glory which was His as the mediator who had fulfilled the work given Him to do. And in sitting down, He not only confirms the efficacy and power of His death for sinners, but so also guarantees all that He does as the mediator. Even in giving to sinners righteousness and life through His Spirit, is sure, certain, and guaranteed. The Scripture uses the language of the right hand of the Father, not as if there is a literal right hand of God, much like we as humans have a right hand, but uses it in a metaphorical sense to express the highest degree of honor and glory conferred upon the mediator because of the virtue of his merit. And the highest degree and honor, the highest degree of honor and glory that is conferred upon him consists not only in honor and glory to Him as He is worshipped by the angels of heaven and the hosts of heaven already present there, but also as Jesus Christ, the Ascended One, the Seated One, receives the nations for His inheritance. In ascending... In sitting down, Acts 4 tells us the stone, citing the psalmist, the stone that was rejected by the builders has become the chief cornerstone. There's all these mixing of metaphors across the New Testament, whether it's the fulfillment of the imagery of the temple, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, or even the imagery of Jesus passing through the heavens into the Holy of Holies as the great high priest. The imagery as well of Jesus as the king receiving the nations as his inheritance. All of this language comes to fruition and comes to its fulfillment as Jesus sits down. All is his the honor and the dignity of all that was promised regarding the Savior, regarding the King and the Priest, and regarding His work, regarding the nations as His inheritance. All of this is conferred upon Him in His exaltation. 
Christ in His ascension is shown to be the head of the church by whom God governs all things for the sake of His church. This is the most general meaning then and significance of His exaltation. He sat down at the right hand He entered in upon, if you will, His glory. A glory which had been obscured from the sight of those who labored under Him as His disciples in His earthly ministry. A glory shrouded, as it were, by his state of humiliation, but a glory which is his as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest, the perfect king of his kingdom. But what can we say? with greater specificity. Well, not only must we consider, first of all, Christ's exaltation in a general sense, but also, secondly, His intercession. As the one who is seated at God's right hand, He is the one who ever lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through Him. The book of Hebrews is by and large an exposition of Psalm 110. Now there are a number of other uh, Old Testament texts that the author to the Hebrews um, explains and uh, expands upon. But the key text is, I would argue, Psalm 110. And part of Psalm 110 is that promise or that oath, the record of that oath that the Lord takes with His anointed, the anointed King. When He says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And it's on the basis of that oath, or better, on the basis of Christ fulfilling that oath in the fullness of time, that it is said of Jesus Christ that He is a better priest, a better surety, a better guarantor, if you will, of a better covenant. And in particular, this means that because He is the surety and guarantor of a better covenant on the basis of this oath, and on the basis of His fulfilling this oath, Christ abides forever with a priesthood unchangeable, immutable. Chapter 7 and verse 24. 
And for this reason, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. At several places then, the author to the Hebrews emphasizes in various ways that this Jesus Christ, this great high priest, is the chief, the great, the final priest. The priest of the order of Melchizedek, who far surpasses, who is far better than any of the priests of the order of Levi, precisely because he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, verse 8, and is thereby a minister of the sanctuary, a minister of the true sanctuary, that heavenly sanctuary. In short, the author to the Hebrews argues that Christ's priesthood is a better priesthood because it is a heavenly priesthood. And it is a heavenly priesthood that he exercises in virtue of his perfect sacrifice of himself. A sacrifice he offers once for all. And as such, when he sat down, he sat down with a finished work and sits there, as it were, as a minister of the true sanctuary in such a way that all who come to God through Him come to God safely, surely. Christ's intercession consists in this, that He applies His perfect reconciling work as our great high priest to us, his people. He confers upon us the honors and dignities of his priestly office. That is, he gives us Access to God. There was no surety under the old covenant that could do so. There was no sacrifice that would fully and finally avail. There was no priest who did not have to offer for himself. Christ is better than all of that. He's a better surety, a better priest. With a better sacrifice, meaning effectual, powerful, truly saving. He is able, powerful, if you will, effectual to save to the uttermost, to save fully and finally all who draw near to God through Him. Why? Because unlike the priests of old, He's not dead. He lives, He's risen, He's ascended. He sat down and He sits as the living Christ to intercede for you such that His intercession also brings with it this great profit, this great fruit 
You may go at any time, anywhere, under any circumstance, and find a surety that avails for you. A guarantor that will not let you down. A priest who has sat down and who sits for you. And in all of your trials, in all of the temptation, in fact, as the author to the Hebrews writes to, to his original audience, what, was, what they were struggling with was the temptation to unbelief, the temptation to turn away from Christ under the pressure of all of the, the rhetoric of the Jews surrounding them that they didn't have a priest, they didn't have a temple, they didn't have a tabernacle, they didn't have a holy of holies. The author to the Hebrews says, rubbish, we have it all. You don't have it because Christ has fulfilled all of those types and shadows. We have the real thing. And the real thing is Jesus. And it's Jesus Christ who in virtue of God's oath and in fulfillment of that oath as our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek Because of Him, we have access. Through Him, we may come. And not just come, but come boldly. With confidence. With every hope that not only in our prayers we will be heard, But with every hope that with such a guarantor, with such a surety, we will never, ever, ever, ever be cast out. He will preserve us to the end. Christ helps His people. Christ honors His people. And Christ hears His people. This is what it means for Christ to intercede as our great high priest. Certainly much more we could say. But the very Christ and the very blood of Christ that Christ Himself offered through the eternal Spirit and offered unto God, Christ cleanses the conscience from dead works. So that we might serve the living God. He is that mediator of a new covenant. Indeed, he entered in once for all into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. He offered himself. And with that offering passes through the heavens into heaven itself with a sacrifice 
that avails. And whose efficacy continues to avail. Christ's sacrifice is of such, of such power and efficacy that once, though it was once for, offered once and for all, it continues to avail for us and will continue to avail for us unto the end of the age. The help that Christ offers, the honor that He gives, the privilege for Him to hear us, is all Christ's intercession. Thirdly, and I'll just introduce it now and we'll return to this next week. But not only must we consider Christ's exaltation, His intercession, but also what we might call His administration. Christ, as our great priest and king, administers His priestly kingdom. He rules over His royal priesthood. Christ, to state it differently, is the head of the church who governs over all things for the sake of the church. Christ rules by His Word and His Spirit in the church. We return to the point made at the beginning. All the seeming chaos of a world in rebellion against God is nevertheless under the rule of Christ. And Christ is ruling over all of that seeming chaos for the sake of His church for your sake and my sake. And this means, among other things, that anything we might suffer at the hands of this godless age is not an accident. All of those sufferings are used to sanctify us And bring us closer to the head of the church of whom we are members. This means, and we'll expand on it. But we who live in supposedly blue states from which lots of Christians are fleeing. We don't have to flee. I can't tell you the number of people that I've heard about who go to some place that is politically more conservative thinking that there's something more congenial to biblical Christianity there. It's a ruse. It's a lie. It's not true. The world is the world wherever you go and Christ rules over it for the sake of His church. Now, he rules over it in a way that a lot of people misunderstand. They want Christ to be like Pilate. 
They want Christ to take up the weapons of the world. No. The war that Christ wages is a war in which he dies and rises again and ascends to heaven and sits down and rules such that he bestows the gifts of all of his work upon sinners. And he continues to work in their lives by his word and by his spirit in such a way that one day he will bring each and every one of the members of his church, each and every one who has ever confessed Christ, Each and every member will come to the head, and the head will come to his members, and all will be renewed. But until then, he still reigns. He's reigning now. Not in the way we might expect, but he's reigning now. And the blessings of his priesthood and the blessings of his kingdom are all being bestowed upon us in seeming weakness. Look at us. Compared to all of the people who are walking around Kirkland right now, doing who knows what, how many of us are in this room? But here, the kingdom of God is being administered. Here, the kingdom of God is taking hold. Here, Christ the victor is extending the borders of his victory. To mix a bunch of metaphors. Here, through the preaching of his word, what appears as foolishness, a waste of time, here, Here, the end of the ages is coming upon us. Here, the great king is exercising his reign. Here, in seeming weakness, the power of God is being made known. Here, the reign of Christ is extended. And we'll leave, and we'll go to our places of employment tomorrow, and it'll seem like all we have is the same old stuff. Weakness, the world, all of the garbage you're going to see on Twitter or whatever social media you're on. You'll see it all. And yes, it's true. It's all rot. It's rotten to the core. And yes, it's true that it's the world's way of mocking Christ and His people. And it's true that it's wearying upon the godly heart. But if we can put it this way, what's most true is that in Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our great king, 
God laughs. And all to our good. Even as Paul teaches in Romans 8. All of those things, what, what can they do? Can they let, who can lay a charge to God's elect? Tribulation, suffering, even death. No, because Jesus, the great king and great priest, he lives. He died. He rose again. Oh, and what's more, Paul puts it this way, he lives to intercede as our king, our priest, our sacrifice, our surety, and our head. And we'll come back here next week then after all of that weariness with the world and we'll again meet with our God through this Christ. We'll be reminded again Though it looks like weakness and folly, it's strength and wisdom. The strength of God and the wisdom of God. We'll go back in the world, take up our jobs, live in our homes, fulfill our responsibilities, and we'll come back again the next week. And we'll hear the same thing. And then we'll go next week Next Lord's Day, same pattern, same rhythm, same pattern, same rhythm. And in all of this, though we won't be able to see it fully until we're at the end and we look back on it, Christ is ruling, and Christ is reigning, and He's conforming you and me to that reign and that rule. He's stripping away the dross by putting us in the fire. And we're being conformed to Jesus Christ. Yes, it's hard. And there are lots of hardships that come with it. But here is grace and mercy for us, even as the author to the Hebrews puts it. Having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one that hath been in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in time of need. Let's pray.